Okay, friends, the story begins. We are continuing the Amida. We're on page 51. Modim. We thankfully acknowledge. This is the third, sorry, the second of the last three blessings. We have the structure of the Amida. There's three blessings, praising God, 13 blessings or 14 blessings, um, requesting from God. And then we close with three blessings. Three blessings, essentially thanking God. The blessing we discussed last week was called the blessing of avodah, the blessing of service. We ask God to willfully accept our service. Let us see him in Jerusalem. right? Together with the fire offerings. And we explained how that refers to the internal fire offering, the fire offering of the soul. And it concludes, blessed are you, Lord, who restores the divine presence to Zion, to, Jew, to Israel. And now today we discuss the modim. After serving God, after the avoda, which means the service, the sacrifices, the main sacrifice in the Beit HaMikdash, it was followed by what's called the Korban Toda, Thanksgiving offering. So similarly in the Amida, after the blessing of avoda, the blessing that refers to our service to God, we have a thanks blessing. What are we thankful for? Let's read it. Let's read it inside. The blessing goes, we're not going to read the whole thing right now, but it goes from 51, that second paragraph, all the way to the bottom of 52. And those bold paragraphs, the inserts for Hanukkah, are part of that blessing during Hanukkah, or part of that blessing during Purim. When it's not Hanukkah or not Purim, we admit those, right? Let's read just the part on 51 for now, just to get a, the gist, uh, a basic gist of what we are being thankful for. We thankfully acknowledge that you are the Lord, our God, and God of our fathers forever. You are the strength of our life, the shield of our salvation in every generation. We will give you thanks to you. We will give thanks to you and recount your praise evening and morning and noon for our lives, which are committed into your hand, for our souls, which are entrusted into to you, and your miracles, which are with us daily. And you are continual and your continual wonders and benefits. Benefits? What are benefits? Okay. As you can tell, I'm more used to the Hebrew. What? Benefits. Okay, say that, say that six times fast. Okay. We'll have to edit this part out of the... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you are the ben beneficent one. Beneficent. Beneficent one. The, the benevolent beneficent. one. Like benevolence, right? Okay. He's giving. For your mercies never cease. The merciful one, your kindness never end. We, For we always place hope in you okay we're thankful that you're our god we're thankful that you're our strength we're thankful for the miracles we're thankful for your beneficent benefits right there's a lot to be thankful for and it's important to be thankful but we've been we had a we have a reoccurring theme every discussion throughout the amida and the truth is through the beginning of the siddur which is there's multiple layers to the sitter. There's always the surface of what this means in, in our conversation to God or what we're asking for or what we're praising for. 
But then there's the deeper meaning. How does this talk to my soul? How does this talk to who I really am? Right? Let's pry a little bit deeper here. Let's look at the Hebrew, please. If you're driving, don't look at the Hebrew. <laughs> or the English, for that matter. Um, page 51. Modim anachnu lach. Modim is translated as thanks. Modim does mean thanks. Similar word as modeani. But what else does modi mean? It means I admit or I concede. I concede. As if to say, I got into a debate with God and God, you were right. That sounds kind of silly, right? <laughs> what do we need? God needs our concession. What are we conceding to? And the answer is, as part of creation, what God created was multiple perspectives. There's the ultimate perspective, God's perspective, the heavenly perspective, the divine soul's perspective, the Torah's perspective, right? These are all kind of synonymous. And then there is our human perspective, our animal soul perspective, our default perspective. Our brainwashed philosophy, for lack of better words, <laughs> our ever-evolving philosophy on what life is. And these two perspectives clash. Let, let, let me frame it this way. If you were to take a trip to heaven somehow, to experience that realm. What you would notice is that you would take God for granted. Of course, there's God. Of course, God is the creator. Of course, God is the reality of existence, the backbone of existence, the force behind of existence. That is obvious. That's not faith. It's clear. And the fact that there is a realm, our world, where we can see things from a, um, where we can experience independence as if we were independent from God, even if it's not true. The fact that we can experience that, that is quite nuanced. Like, really? There's, <laughs> you could think that this isn't true. <laughs> we're right here. What do you mean? That's the, that's the divine soul's perspective, right? Conversely, our worldly perspective is that there is a God somewhere quite abstract, quite hidden. And there's a clash between these two perspectives. In Tanya, we call this the clash between the animal soul and divine soul. These two internal perspectives clashing. What is the truth? Is the truth what I see? Or is the truth what actually is? Because those two are not always the same. For a tzaddik, that's the same. A tzaddik looks at you and sees who you really are. But for most people, we look at people, we see what we see, and we have to pry and hope that we can discover that there's greater depth. You want to hear see a great illustration of this? 
for for those of you who are on your phones, will you still be able to see the screen safely? Not, not at the moment. Okay, only David will get it's to emerging. see it. David, when you now, look now, at this image, when you look at this image, what is the first thing you see? See a dog. It looks, of, like uh, a, it looks like somebody with sunglasses on their head looking down. Okay. Yeah, right. some, some kind of animal with sunglasses. <laughs> what it is, is one of the Muppets. Oh. No, wow. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not. <laughs> it looks like one of the Muppets. It's a lady with sunglasses on and a headband looking down. Oh, I guess right. Right? But the first thing that, that came out to me was, oh, one of the Muppets. <laughs> Too much caffeine this morning. Okay, I'll have to share with you the image afterwards. But my point yeah. is what we see, just because we see something doesn't mean it's true. Seeing isn't believing. Because what I'm believe just because I believe what I see doesn't mean that what I saw was the truth. I believe in the truth in my heart of hearts and I try to learn about it. But is that my reality? Well, through prayer, I'm trying to make that my reality. Through Torah study, I'm trying to make that my reality. And we'll discuss soon how to actually do that practically. But is it my reality? If I'm being honest and genuine, it's something I have to concede to. I conceptually know that God is the creator. But to, to, to really appreciate that that is the ultimate truth. There's no independent agenda other than the purpose for which God needs me, not the needs that I have. Because God is the creator. All Everything that I need fits into the framework of why I exist. That requires humility. That requires concession. If the Amida is the center, the nucleus of prayer, the climax of prayer, the Modim is the climax and nucleus of the Amida. Because this is what it's all about. This is really what it's all about, to concede to that. I'm going to refer to the Hebrew again. Modim Anachnu we concede lach to you. Who's you? To God. Right? Not, not to any particular name. Not to how you identify. God, we don't care how you identify. <laughs> We're not that progressive. <laughs> we want you yourself. We concede to your essence. God has multiple identities. The multiple names are different identities. Sometimes he's a king. Sometimes he's a father. Sometimes a spouse. Sometimes a judge. Sometimes a creator. But what we're conceding is that there's a deeper truth than all of that, which is just the essence of you. And this you is relevant. Sha'ata, that you. Who Hashem Elokeinu? You are our, our, you are our God. I concede, not only that you are the truth, but you're relevant. 
your irrelevant truth. Yeah, but I don't feel it. But that's why I'm conceding. I'm conceding that my feelings aren't the truth. The truth is the truth. And I'm trying to get my feelings to agree. But it starts with conceding. That is an incredible amount of humility. And by the way, it's not popular. <laughs> I think we all know that. <laughs> it's popular if if you um if you're if you're honest, if you're intellectually honest, you care about the soul. It's the only right way to do it. By default, if we're not intentional, we just follow our hearts. We're not going to find truth. We may find meaning. May not be the correct meaning. <laughs> that meaning might not mean anything. <laughs> but if we concede to the objective truth and try to get our hearts there, the meaning we have will actually be meaningful. Right? That's what we're saying at this prayer. We acknowledge we concede that it's all you and you are our God. You're relevant. You're the God of our fathers forever. And then we say you are the strength of our life. Um, let's look at the Hebrew. Four lines down from that paragraph. Sur chayenu, the strength of our life. Okay, translations are... Not exact all the time. Tsur. What does the word tsur mean? They translate it as strength. Chayeno, the strength of our life. Tsur means the rock. You're the rock of our life. God, you are the rock of our life. And the Hasidic tradition in interpreting this line, we're referring to a particular type of rock, a particular type of stone. We're actually referring to a flint stone. Have you ever met the flint stone? No, I'm kidding. We're, we're, sorry, I had to go there. I saw that. I saw that coming. <laughs> I, I almost said it myself. <laughs> okay, good. We're all on the same page here. So we're referring to a flint stone, which creates fire, right? You take a flint stone and you, you beat it, sparks come. You don't see the fire unless you beat it, <laughs> unless you position it correctly, unless you operate it correctly. But the fire is there in pot potentially or in potentia. The fire is there. You just don't see it. You got to bring it out. Right? There's nothing you can do to get rid of the potential fire that's in a Flintstone. Nothing. If you were to take a match and dip it in water and soak it in water, you'll obviously get rid of the flame that was on it. And also, it's not a functional match anymore. I don't think it would work anymore. Right? Wet wood won't work. A wet flintstone will still produce sparks. You can't get rid of that flame. 
It's hidden so deep in. Nothing you can do can get rid of it. God is the rock of our life. He's like our flintstone. Inseparable from our existence. Our souls are inseparable from our existence. We have to position ourselves correctly. So we have to operate ourselves correctly so the sparks actually come, come forth. But even if we don't, they're still there. Right? God is the rock of our life, the, the flintstone of our life. And if we position ourselves correctly, the sparks will come out because they're there. And how do we position ourselves correctly to experience those sparks, that hidden flame inside that nothing can really get rid of or prevent? The answer is modim. I concede. I have to concede that there's more than what meets the eye. I have to concede that there's more than just what my what my heart wants. There's an objective truth. My heart wants it, but that's not what makes it true. And the more I'm comfortable with that truth, and the only way to know what the truth is, by the way, is the Torah. Our minds can't tell us what the truth are. Our minds can tell us what the truth is. Our minds can only tell us what uh, what we think the truth is. <laughs> Our hearts will tell us what we feel the truth is. The Torah will tell us what the truth is, what the purpose is, what the vision is. And the more comfortable we are with that, we're positioning that Flintstone so the sparks can come forth, so our souls can be on fire. You know what we call this in in uh, in Hasidic lingo? And you're familiar with this, Bittel. That's what Bittel is. Bittel is beautiful. Bittel referred to as how would you translate bitzel? I mean, it's translated as like nullification, nothingness, right? nothingness. But, but it's it's more than just nothingness. I'm. It's nothingness in a very beautiful way. I'm part of something biggerness. <laughs> That's really what it is. I'm absorbed in something bigger, bigger than myself, much bigger than myself. If I have Bittel, if I can have the humility to recognize that I'm part of something bigger, a bigger mission, a bigger truth, my value is infinite. Isn't that wild? Bittel increases your value, your self-image. Because if I'm valuable because I think I'm smart, well, I have news for you. I ain't that smart. <laughs> and if I'm valuable because I think I'm talented, well, I'm not that talented, right? I'm limited. I'm a human being. But if I'm valuable because I'm part of God's vision for humanity and mission for humanity, my value is infinite. Bittel, being nothing or being part of something bigger, makes your value infinite. Sacred. This past Hanukkah, I had the um, opportunity to meet with our district supervisor. 
He used to be the mayor of Dublin. And while I'm normally not into politicians, nice guy. And has very straightforward, uh, traditional religious values. His name is David. David Hubert. Howard. Hubert. Howard. Do you guys know David Howard? And I I saw this conversation that I had the opportunity to have with him. We had, we had a little Hanukkah party in his um in his office actually that he hosted. I had the opportunity to present to him the Rebbe's campaign about the moment of silence. The moment of silence campaign. You guys familiar with the moment of silence campaign? Yes. Right. You can't introduce prayer in public schools because of separation of church and state and then all the complications it's going to come with you know which god do you pray to and what doesn't work that you know the Rebbe's suggestion was have a moment of silence what should they think about the kids will have to ask their parents and the parents will have to introduce values but even for an atheist this is benign there's nothing to complain about And it's an opportunity, even if they don't use the word God, it's an opportunity to have bittle for a kid to realize there's something bigger than myself. There's more than me. And I'm part of that thing that's bigger than myself. And I'm an integral role. I matter because of that. Right? Our lives matter. All lives matter. But why do all lives matter? Not because you think they matter. <laughs> Because God chose it to matter. We're part of an, uh, an integral role here. This is called bittel. This is what we're thinking about when we say modim. We think, anachnulach, we thank you. We we had conceded to you. You are the rock, the, the, the flintstone of our life, the essence of our life. And like that flintstone, nothing could get rid of that spark. Now, if we could go through and experience that, that would be beautiful, right? That would be idealistic. At the same time, if we're shooting to be too authentic, you know, there's a bit of a danger there. A bit of a danger there. The Talmud says, the Talmud accentuates the importance of bowing when reciting, we concede to you. Right? We, we bow at that moment. And the Talmud says it's so important to bow at that moment that somebody who neglects to bow, this is going to sound a little bit extreme, they are going to become like a snake. That's their punishment, as it were. What? <laughs> is it that big of a deal? I forgot to do one of the ritual bowings. I'm being punished. Let's reframe this for a moment and see it not as a punishment, but as a consequence. Essentially, we have human nature to be authentic, especially these days, especially the millennial generation and beyond. We're very into being authentic. And it's a double-edged sword. It's beautiful and it's detrimental. If we pull it off, it's beautiful. And if we can't get find it within our hearts to be authentic, it's it's harmful. 
How many divorces happen because people don't feel like they're being authentic? Right? How many people give up jobs and are on the streets because they can't stick to a job because they're not authentic? They don't believe in it in the cause. They can't, so they don't want to make the money. It happens, right? This is the this is the generation. It's the generation right before the coming of Mashiach, where there's going to be total authenticity. We're getting close. But before Mashiach comes, it can be detrimental. Somebody who says, I'm authentic. And I want to have bittel to God. I want to concede to God. But I'm not feeling it. I will not go through those motions. I'm going to bow to God when I don't feel it in my heart. I'm going to lie to myself. I'm going to lie to God. I'm going to fake. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to pretend that I that I that I feel that I'm part of a bigger mission, that I have a soul, but when I don't really feel it, the Talmud says, yes. And if you don't, you're like a snake. You're you're embodying klipa. You have the opportunity to experience bittel, and if not just behaviorally, it's still valuable. Even if our bittel is just behavioral, even if we're not fully authentic, we're not fully internally lined up, we're not fully emotionally engaged in our relationships, even just behaviorally engaged, there is meaning there. It matters. If I put on tefillin and I don't feel the connection with God, but I'm doing it, that matters still. If I celebrate Shabbos, but I don't feel like I'm in a different plane in time, I'm just going through the motions of not doing what I should be doing. It's not ideal, but it's still meaningful to God. If I study Torah, I don't feel the godly connection. I just... Beautiful wisdom. It's still meaningful to God. Even if I'm not fully authentically lined up, I'm just going through the behavior, it still matters. There was a chassid of Rabbi Shunir Zaman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, who was quite wealthy and he was quite charitable as well. And he told the Alter Rebbe, I'm considering cutting back on charity because I don't feel that I'm giving from a place of authenticity. It tends to be more about me than about who I'm giving. And the alternatives don't cut back. You may not be giving it with authenticity, but the recipients are hungry and they're receiving it with authenticity. We may not feel like our mitzvahs are being done with full authenticity. I'm not perfect, right? I'm not in the... I'm not feeling spiritual, so I'm going to lie to myself and put on tefillin. I'm going to lie to myself and, sit and and start going to shul. I'm going to lie to myself and start saying that this is who I am and start praying and lighting Shabbos candles and keeping kosher when that's not who I am internally. And the answer is yes. If you're not feeling the modim, you still got to bow. That's what the Talmud says. Otherwise, we're embodying klipa because we, just through action, have an incredible opportunity. Action is so meaningful. And by the way, that's the real bittel. That I can do truth even if I don't feel truth because it's not about my feelings. It's about the truth. It's not about me. The Vilna Gaon 
the famed Rabbi Elio of Vilna from the 1700s, was an incredible scholar, an incredible um, a Kabbalist. They say that he would study for about 20 hours a day. And he was on his deathbed. His time was coming near. His students were gathered around, and he's crying. And they said, Rebbe, why are you crying? He says, I'm afraid. Not, I mean, not afraid, but he, he said, I'm, I'm about to pass away. Rebbe, what are you afraid of? You've been righteous. You've led a, a full, wholesome life. You've left an entire generation of scholars and students. We have no doubt that you're going to be going to heaven. What are you afraid of? He says, it's not fear. I'm going to go to heaven and experience God. But while I'm here on earth, I get to do what God wants. He says, for a couple of pennies, I get to put on tzitzis and do what God wants to connect with the infinite. In heaven, I get to watch the infinite from a distance. <laughs> As it were, I'm paraphrasing here. But here on earth, I can do and connect with the infinite. We may not be feeling the modim. We may not be feeling the bittal. We may not be feeling like we're part of something else, something bigger than ourselves, but we can act that way. We still need to bow. Okay. Homework. Next time you re we read the modim, right, let's think about that. Whom am I conceding to? How can I uncover within myself that Flintstone, those sparks? And if I'm not, I'm still going through the motions and that action itself is meaningful even if it's not fully authentic in the inside. That is my story and I'm sticking to it.